0: Hi everyone, this is Science Modeling Talks. I'm your host, Mark Royce. This podcast features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. My guest for this episode is Dan Peluso. Dan's an astronomy modeling instructor with a fascinating story behind his journey into science teaching. You'll hear this young astrophysicist share his exciting ambitions for how he hopes to influence teachers and help students grow in understanding our world and the cosmos around us before we dive in, I'd like to let you know that this show and our efforts are purely a labor of love, intended to support and inform the modeling instruction community. We are unfunded, yet we hope to sustain these podcasts into the future. If you'd like to help us keep going, please consider making a donation through the link at the bottom of our homepage at sciencemodelingtalks.com. While you're there, you can access extra content related to our interviews and learn more about our guests on the interview pages. Also, please share your thoughts and comments by clicking the link that says, tell us what you think. We really want to hear from you. Okay, let's dive in. Here's my interview with Dan. Hi, Dan. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm doing well. Living in California and the smoke's not bad today.
1: No, I can see the skies. It's not red or orange, and that makes me very happy. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I was on up against the uh, Sierras, and you're in the Bay Area, and we had both had lots of different issues with the fires. Any harrowing or, or interesting experiences that you want to share?
1: Well, I usually wake up 5.30 uh, or 6 in the morning, and I believe it was a Wednesday, and I... Get up at six and go to get my coffee. I set it on an auto and it was pitch black dark in my house. And it's usually a, at least a little bit light at that time, right? And I was this is a little strange. So then I go into my living room and it's it feels just as dark as night. And the the windows have this strange, eerie glow to it. it was, I thought it was dreaming or something. It was really weird. And then then I go outside and the whole sky is orange and then You know, the whole day was just this freaky kind of dreamlike state. And we had all the posts on the news where people were showing the skies in San Francisco and they were red and orange. And so it was it was just a weird experience. This this has been the strangest year Um,
0: and—and the fires. I've never you know, I'm 60 and I've never seen in my lifetime anything like this. You know, and I've lived in California my whole life.
1: Well, hopefully it's, it's, you know, it's, um, it's something to learn from. I mean, Australia had the same phenomenon happen last year with their fires. And, um, this has been something that's been predicted by climate scientists for decades. And, you know, these events are going to continue to happen, but with more intensity and more frequency, if, uh, the whole planet doesn't start to come together and do something about the human impact on our, on our, on our world and on our climate.
0: Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right.
1: So we're going to
0: dive into your world, which is uh, astronomy education, science education in astronomy. That's right. Do you ever have problems saying astronomy?
1: Um, (laughs) I have problems saying a lot of words. In fact, (laughs) um, if anyone out there listening, if they want to tally all the words I mispronounce and then let me know, I won't be I won't be hurt because <laughs> I mispronounce things all the time. <laughs> we will have a transcription posted on the website. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know what's fun about about mispronouncing words too, and it just made me think of something. Um, is you know, with education, we have uh, you know, we always focus on the answer, right, and the correct answer, and I think that is just completely dead wrong and how we should be thinking about education. And there's this uh, there's this example that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talked about in a video that I watched where he was giving a graduation ceremony uh, speech. And he said, we have these students at a spelling bee and they're, they're supposed to spell the word cat. And the first student says, C-A-T. And they're like, that's right. And then the second student says, K-A-T. And that's wrong, dead wrong. And then the third student Spells it completely dead wrong, like, I don't know, X, B, D, right? And then the K-A-T is marked just as wrong as the the completely off-the-wall one, even though phonetically it's the same. And in the dictionary, phonetically it'd be spelled that way. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. I just thought of that tangent. That's going to be me in this, well, in this podcast. <laughs> that's a great opening
0: to some of the stuff I want to talk to you about because um, my little bit of research, I... I found uh, some things about you and uh, I want to dive in. I, now I'm going to start with a a controversial quote that I read from you. Good, let's hear it. You said, "I would argue that grades do not matter."
1: Yes, and I will stick to that and um anybody can come fighting their way to me and I will completely stick with that statement because of the following. So, if you think about all the people that have been extremely successful in the history of humankind. Have some of them, maybe you've had great grades. I mean, well, grades, how old are grades anyway? Anyways, how long have we been giving grades? What do you think, Mark?
0: At some level of judgment, people have been doing that since time began probably, you know, toward one another.
1: But in schools, like how long have we been doing that in schools, you think? Oh, I don't know. The actual A couple hundred years, maybe 150 years. I I don't. I don't know. I'm just guessing too. I don't know exactly how much, but I mean, we've had schools for a while. But um, you know, I think the point is, is that um, there's been people that have been successful. You know, not based off of their grades. And some of those people, you know, have dropped out of of school or college, and uh, maybe have gotten average grades or below average grades, but they've still made a huge mark on. On society and have been innovative, and it, it wasn't about the schools that they went to, it wasn't about the uh, GPA that they got or the test scores that they achieved. In fact, a lot of schools are getting rid of standardized tests um, because they find that there's a lot of inequalities in them and a lot of biases in them, and they don't really test you know you for what you what you know and your abilities, and you know um, that can actually be kind of harm, harmful to our society. But what what does make people successful is their initiative. Their drive, their ambition, their curiosity. And we don't, we don't cultivate that in schools. We don't teach that in schools like we should.
0: Yeah. And I, I hear a hint of Yong Zhao in that.
1: Yeah. So Yong Zhao, um, and if uh, listeners aren't familiar, is this, uh, really inspiring, uh, education reformer. And I, I, um, I, I enjoy him a lot. And I found out about him when I got my master's of education. So I got my master's of education at the University of San Diego in 2016, 2017. And I student taught at a school called High Tech High Media Arts. And they're one of the hmm. schools that is most well known, I guess, around the world, apparently, at least that's what I was told, uh, for what they do with project based learning or PBL for short. And, um, when I was researching it, I found this, this quote from him and I, I tell it to my students on day one. You know, I've only been teaching for a couple years, but every year so far, the first day, I tell my students this quote, what makes someone successful in the 21st century is definitely not your ability to memorize facts. What will make someone successful is your relentless capacity to innovate, to create. It's your ability to network, to make friends from your own circle and from other countries. It's your ability to see through challenges, to look for opportunities and problems, and to take action to change things instead of waiting for someone else to do something. Hmm. That's a great statement for your students. In fact, I tell them on day one that the American education system has felled, felled them. I'm completely honest and, and blunt with them. You know, I tell them that, that um, they shouldn't believe everything that I tell them. I tell them that they need to be skeptical and they need to think for themselves, that they um, need to be curious and cultivate their creativity, that they need to work with each other. And, um, and the, in the world that we live in today, okay, if you want to be successful, then you, you have to be able to innovate. You have to be creative and you have to be able to, to think for yourself. And, and these are, I would argue that these are also really important aspects of what make a great uh, society in a democratic world. Teaching them how to learn. Yes. And I think that's something that, wait, what is this podcast? Uh, what's the what's this show? this? Modeling talks. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So modeling, right? And I think yeah. modeling actually helps with that tremendously because what does modeling do? It, it, it allows students to work like a scientist, to work together, to collaborate with each other, to be creative, to um, evaluate evidence, to be skeptical, but also, you know, to encourage their curiosity and wonder. You know, the things that we want scientists or the things that scientists do well that drive great science, we want our students to do that. And they're not going to do that uh, if we use the traditional model, which is based on you know a grading system, which is based on you know a direct instruction model, where they have to take take tests just by regurgi- regurgitating information. You know mm-hmm. they're not going to know how to think. They're not going to be able to, to to weigh evidence and know you know what what is what is true and what is not true based off of that.
0: I read in your uh, blog you you think you share with your kids how to think, not what to think.
1: Yes. Yeah. Explain how on to that think a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, there's this great cartoon um, in that blog blog post uh, with a student with their literally their 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 brain opened up, and then the teacher is just dumping information into their head, and <laughs> you know that's 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 our traditional model of education, right? Is is this this one way path? The currency in the classroom are grades and information, and um, to to cultivate this this, uh, this idea of letting students, you know, know, know how to think, you know, we have to completely change how, how we do education and, and a lot of great teachers, um, like modelers and, uh, education reformers, like young, young Zhao and people that do PBL. And, you know, all, there's a lot of people out there that are trying to do this. And I think unfortunately the the education system, you know, is still, it's still based on a model that is, you know, over a hundred years old. It's kind of like this, like industrial line of just, you know, trying to get people to listen to instructions and, and follow, you know, follow, follow orders. And, you know, this is also really bad for, you know, student culture and, and student empowerment. And, you know, we, we, we drive out the culture of students and we're we're not real with them. And, um, it just needs to change completely. I think. How would you, okay. You're king
0: of the education world. How would you make those changes?
1: Um, well, I, I would first off not be the King because I don't, <laughs> I think I want to, <laughs> I want to be, I want to be a good educator and I, you know, I, I want to, I want to educate other people to, to do that. Um, but if, if I were to, you know, try to inspire or motivate people and what to do, I would, I would say that they need to keep an open mind, right. And, and listen to, um, the different ideas that people have that, or, you know, research-based to show that this helps people. You know, we, we uh, want to create a, a classroom that is going to get the students excited about being there, not hating be there. Like how many times the students like call, call out sick or like whine about going to school. I, I didn't want to go to school a lot of time. I, I didn't like it. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of, lot of students that feel that way right now. So how can we make it a place where they actually want to go there Well, you know, they need to, they need to be able to follow their passions and they need to be able to follow their curiosities and they need to be able to make choices and they need to be able to work together and, and they, they need to be, um, their cultures need to be embraced. And, Mm -hmm. and if, if we can find some way to do that and to, and to cultivate their creativity, which, you know, I'll come back to Yang Zhao again, he, him and a lot of people that he works with. Say that we we completely crush the creativity in our schools. We kill it at you know a very young age. You know, uh, you know you think about the the kid jumping in a puddle, and then you know we're you know stop jumping in that puddle. You're making a mess, or you know uh, stop playing around because you're you're going to create a mess or something. We 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 drive the curiosity and the creativity out of them, and think about all the wonderful and brilliant minds, the Einsteins and the Da Vinci's and and. Um, you know, all the, all, all these creative ideas that we, that we don't cultivate because our, our system doesn't really, doesn't do that. Mm. And I don't, I don't have all the answers to how to do that. I don't know, but I just, I just know that I feel, and a lot of people feel, it's not just me, that how we do it isn't. Isn't right, and that we need to do something about it. How are we going to do that? I don't know. We got to work together. We have to talk about it. We have to we have to keep an open mind, and we have to we have to do our research and and be willing to take a risk. Right? Mm-hmm. There's no great change unless you know there, there, we don't make progress unless we take some risks and try things out.
0: I was curious about what your thoughts are because I, I grabbed a paragraph off your uh, your blog. If I could, if you'd indulge me to read this. Sure. If we replace the education system into one that encourages and develops collaborative processes, creativity, problem-solving, curiosity, and other reasoning skills for all, stud- all students, regardless of color or gender, from the earliest age through high school and beyond, I claim we would transform our society into a conveyor belt of movers and shakers, innovators, free thinkers, and happy-driven citizens. Yeah. I love that. Thanks. (laughs) I like it too, but I guess I'm a little biased. Sure. (laughs) But the problem is the culture of the education system as it exists. Mm -hmm. Our education system is pretty locked in, and there are a lot of people who are with you that are wanting change. Yeah, there are. So – You know, I guess the question comes back again to how do we do that?
1: I think the people that also agree that, you know, there needs to have this change is they need to, they need to keep on doing what they're doing and they need to not give up. And then the teachers that, that are younger or even the teachers that are older, any teacher really needs to not be, be afraid to try new things. A lot of people are afraid like, oh, you know, um, you know, I've, I've, I've had some experiences in you know, the, the very short little time that I've been teaching that, you know, I was like, oh, well, I can't do that because they want they want us to focus on, you know, this these standards and we have to give this test by this date. Right. Or, mm-hmm. you know, um I have to align with this test with this other teacher. So I have to give the same test, you know, and. You know, I, I felt myself like, oh, I have to do that because that's what I'm told that I have to do where I have all these creative ideas and I want to innovate and I want to do all these like special projects and, and like, you know, do all these like amazing things that I'm excited about. And if I'm excited about then that excitement hopefully is going to spill out and the kids are going to get it, you know, but then, but then I'm I'm told I have to follow a mold as a teacher. Right. So I think the teachers need to be afraid to not be afraid to not be afraid to, to take risks. You know, and if that means that their their school fires them or they're ostracized, then then do it. Do, do do it for yourself and do it for your students. And a lot of teachers do that. And there's a lot of amazing teachers and educators out there that you know are gonna follow the dream. And you have to follow the dream and and not you know. And you're you're gonna be you know you're you're gonna run into problems when that happens. But you can't let that hold you back. So don't be afraid and take take risks. Mm-hmm. That's good. You mentioned that you haven't been teaching that long. Yeah, no, I've only been teaching for um, I guess three three full years I've taught. you know, I had my one year student teaching, but you know, they traditionally don't count that as like a year of teaching. so um,
0: yeah. So mm-hmm. some people are gonna say, oh, you're just a noob, but yeah. <laughs> but sure. you've been teaching, I just want to clarify, you've been teaching high school astronomy? physics but it's been physics
1: astronomy themed physics Ah. so i'm i'm an astronomer and i'm also uh i'm now working on a phd in astrophysics so i kind of like astronomy in fact i uh you know that's the reason why i went into science i never i didn't like science when i was in high school and i didn't care about it never thought i'd become a scientist or even a teacher nonetheless and um i uh wanted I, I think teachers should put their passion into it and i I've always put my passion around uh, astronomy when it comes to science and when I've taught physics when when possible i've I've tried to theme it around astronomy not always but um you know here and here and there you mentioned um,
0: to me before this interview that you really uh, respect and appreciate modeling instruction
1: yeah and i I only found out about it, um, let's see, maybe a year and a half ago. So, they're going to really criticize me because I'm on a modeling podcast and I've only been a modeler for like a year. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) But how did you get introduced to it? So, um, I uh, began a PhD um, with the University of Southern Queensland, USQ. They're they're located near Brisbane, Australia. Um, So I've been flying back and forth, you know, from Australia to the Bay Area. No, I do it all remotely. This is kind of cool, kind of a cool little uh, university where I can actually work on a PhD remotely. And one of my advisors is uh, actually I have like I have like 20 advisors, by the way. But um, one of them is uh, Colleen McGowan. And I think, you know, Colleen, right? Yeah, I do. She she's yeah. been instrumental
0: in helping us get launched and I've uh, done interviews with her and she's, she and I are very good friends. She's an amazing lady.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of modelers will know, will know Colleen. Um, so before I even met Colleen, I met somebody by the name of Carl Pennypacker, who has the most awesome name in the world, by the way, Carl, <laughs> if you hear this, everybody loves your name, you know it. Just pat yourself on the back because your name's awesome. So he's an astrophysicist. He got his uh, he got his PhD I think at Harvard or Princeton in 1978, um, and he worked on the uh, this uh, this project with uh, with a with one of his students named Saul Perlmutter. You ever heard of Saul Perlmutter before? I've not. So Saul Perlmutter won the Nobel Prize in Physics in 2011 for the discovery of the expansion of the universe via dark energy and Carl Pennypacker was involved in this project, um, but then he—he he, he, this guy loves education. and He's known around the world for astronomy education, and he started this—he um, started this education initiative called Hands On Universe, and that turned into Global Hands On Universe. And it started in the '90s. And what they do is they um, try to make astronomy education more powerful by giving teachers and their students access to robotic telescopes, training them in um, astronomy data analysis, uh, making models. It's making models to grow their understanding and inspiration from that data. And back in 2016, um, the American Mod- Modeling Teaching Association or Teachers Association (AMTA) they they partnered with uh, with Global Hands-On Universe and Carl to to develop a modeling instruction astronomy workshop. And I met Carl while I was teaching at the school in Vallejo. Where where I live, and he was running the after school astronomy program, and he knew that I was trying to get into a PhD program. But I, you know, honestly, I was kind of about to give up on getting a PhD program, and that's a different story. But um, he came and he he gave me this uh, opportunity to to work on my PhD with USQ, and um, I had some ideas. He had some ideas, and. Uh, one thing led to the next thing and I became a student with them and we decided that we wanted to use this modeling instruction astronomy as a portion of some of the research that I'm going to be doing. Mm. Wow. And then Colleen came aboard and, you know, I, I, I went to the modeling instruction astronomy workshop, the first and only one that has ever happened. It was in, um, it was in uh, Louisville, Kentucky at the university of Louisville in July of 2019. And that was um my first introduction to modeling and i tried to do some of that in the classroom that the following year and um i researched it more and i you know i i wrote some literature reviews and learned about it and um was was hooked on it so the modeling
0: instruction is started with physics with dr hessness but it's moved through the disciplines, uh, chemistry and biology, and now astronomy is, sounds, is pretty new. You're young in this modeling thing. Talk to me about how just the general modeling concepts of instruction have influenced you as a as a newbie. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who have been doing it. My wife's been doing it 20 years. Colleen's been doing it however long she's been doing and all the you know, those who are listening, there's differing, uh, experiences in time with modeling. And I'm just curious with a guy that's had it for a year, what, what are your insights?
1: Well, um, I like probably many teachers started teaching pedagogy or methods that I was taught. Right. So I thought that, you know, if, if I was just excited and, um, inspirational and I was, the sage on the stage, then it would work with, with the students. I, I learned very quickly that that, that was not true. And um, when, you know, in your first year teaching, you know, teachers always say that's, you know, your hardest year. And that was my hardest year and you get better. I mean, teachers, it's a practice and it's like, you know, you get better, I guess, every year. Um, and. In my third year teaching, whenever I started experimenting with this modeling, I noticed something pretty magical. First off, um, I didn't have as much behavior problems as I did before. Second off, the kids were excited about what they were doing. They were creating. They were talking to each other about what we were trying to learn. And it was just like the light bulbs above everyone's head just started shining and um it was it was just kind of this magical thing and anyone who does modeling or has experienced modeling I think they they're familiar with that and I was wow this, this is this is pretty incredible and um it it was it was just this thing I, that I never I never experienced before and you know later I, I would I would study these different you know uh you know, these different types of educational, um, ideas like, you know, PBL and, and, you know, the inquiry based learning and and using other methods. And it's just like, you know, wh- why don't schools do this more? And, um, it's, it's, it's just how amazing it is and it's works. You know, there's all the research that shows that it works. And, um, it just surprises me that it's not, it hasn't taken off more than it has. And I know it's, it's, there's a lot of people that do do it, but, Several thousand. Yeah, I think was there like ten thousand, like uh, like maybe ten thousand some teachers. It's somewhere in there.
0: Yeah, it, I don't know the exact numbers. You know, I'm not a teacher or a scientist. My wife is uh very accomplished, and uh this because I'm kind of a production guy. I built the podcast.
1: <laughs> oh, I think that makes it great. It gives it gives a lot of really good character. Yeah. And that's that's good. That's a good trait that I think a lot of people have trouble with is is saying that like, they don't know the answer to something. Right. When I there's been times where students have asked me something, I don't know. And I say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Right. And they're like, what? what? You don't know. Aren't you? You're the teacher. You're supposed to know everything. Right. And I'm like, no, I, I don't know everything. And, you know, nobody does. And you have to be honest when you don't know things. Just let you know. And that's what science is about is being honest about what we don't yeah. know.
0: Then you can say, let's go find out.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of teachers in this like old style of teaching that like they, you know, they're the sage on the stage and they have to like keep up this, you know, put their chest out and like, you know, I know everything. And like, no, you don't.
0: I know you're preaching to the choir when you are talking to other modelers about Uh this whole idea. It's great. So I I want to, you've been teaching, but I know that you're shifting, you're pivoting Mm-hmm. out of teaching tell us about that
1: yeah so um it was actually never my intention to 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 become become a teacher i mean i've always loved to, i mean i'm a people person Ever my mom says that whenever i was a little kid i from the time that i could walk and talk i would just go and just mingle with people and i would leave the table at the restaurant and just go talk to random people right <laughs> um and i uh at one point in time, before I so I didn't have a bachelor's degree. I'm I'm 36 now. I didn't have a bachelor's degree until I was 33, and uh, before I got my bachelor's degree, uh, degrees actually I have two of them. I'm not trying to, not trying to. Uh, You're pro- Yeah, <laughs> but um, so before way before that, I uh, I worked in education technology and I installed smart boards. And I'm sure a lot of teachers know what smart boards are. If you don't, they're these, they're these like whiteboards. They're smart because you can write on them and annotate over them and make it more interactive. And I used to give trainings to teachers. This is kind of, you know, my first experience back in the K through 12 classroom since high school. And I got and I got a lot of compliments from the teachers and saying, Well, you should be a teacher. Or where do you teach that? I was like, Oh, I'm not a teacher and um that was the first time i thought like well maybe i'll be a teacher one day but then when i went back to school for science my original goal was to be to be a professional scientist to be an astronomer and when i when i graduated uh from the university of pittsburgh in 2016 i had uh i i had toyed i had really wanted to go get my phd right then but you know going back to school as you know in my, in my early 30s i was going back to school full time i i was um Doing part-time jobs, I was driving for Uber, driving for Lyft, waiting tables. You know, it was a really hard time for my wife and I, and I think we needed a we needed a break. We needed a break. You know, so I I was like, well, you know what? I'll I'll do an easy job. I'll I'll, I'll teach high school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, so, so seriously though, I I there's a lot of great you know um you know science outreach people that you know are, are really popular. Obviously, Bill Nye, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and and, you know, Brian Cox in the UK. And they always talk about you know, the importance of like inspiring youth in science, right? That's where we really need to make the difference is like these young kids. And I was like, you know what, like, maybe I'll still get my PhD one day. But, you know, maybe I can really make a difference, you know, and inspire kids in science. Because whenever I was in high school, I didn't care about science. So maybe I can relate to them. And maybe I'll learn and maybe I'll grow and you know, maybe they'll help me. And, you know, I'll just give it a shot. So I it was kind of it was a kind of, I kind of was it kind of a thing like a last minute decision. I was actually at a science conference um, in Texas, the lunar planetary um, science conference, and I'm probably mispronouncing that. <laughs> but I met this I met this, this gentleman there is this 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 older gentleman. And he um, he was an educator. And I I had just uh, applied to UC Davis in the PhD program in planetary science. And I, I got the denial letter while I was in this conference. And I was I was really I was really sad about it. I was like, it's the end, you know, it's never gonna happen. Wah, cry, cry, cry. And, and then I and then I ran into him and it was almost kind of like the serendipitous moment. And, you know, he said, You should try teaching. You should try teaching science. I was like, Yeah, yeah, maybe I will. And then I I applied and went to the University of San Diego, and then I've been teaching for the three years and now I'm going to do my PhD. So you love teaching. I can tell. I do. Why are you leaving? Cause I got other things I want to do. <laughs> okay. And I might come back to teaching one day. Right. Um, yeah. so, you know, I, I, um, I was inspired by, uh, Carl Sagan and, uh, there's probably Carl Sagan's quotes and, and name probably pop up like on websites and blogs that I've written like a whole bunch. um, but I I watched his Cosmos mm-hmm. series that right. and, uh, uh that was on PBS in the 80s. I watched it on on Netflix on a Nintendo Wii. Um, <laughs> Generation like, Yep, yep. <laughs> so that was in like 2000. Yep, 2009, 2010. And I started I started reading you know popular science books like um, A Brief History of Time and um, books by Phil Plait and. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and listening to podcasts about that. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. And then it's like, well, science is not just interesting, kind of fun. And like, you know, exploring the universe is pretty rad. But wow, this is like you can like change society. And it's it's like about, hmm. you know, it's about fighting against dictatorships and and, um, you know, protecting yourselves from charlatans, people who try to sell you quackery for profit whether that being like an actual product or an ideology. And I was like, wow, this is like pretty awesome. So I want to be a scientist and an educator and do outreach. Um, so I, w- I want to get my PhD. I want to do science. I want to publish papers. I want to do outreach. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, what, you know, the next five or 10 years are going to where I'm going to be. People are like, you know, what's your goal for five, 10 years? I don't know. I'm right in the wave where I'm at right now and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And will I come back to teaching one day? Maybe. You know, I do love teaching, but I don't have to be in a classroom to teach. Do you have immediate plans
0: that you can share?
1: Yeah. Um, so I um, am starting my PhD full time. I did it part time last year while teaching full time. That was a, that was a lot of work. Um, and this year, I've been uh, very lucky that uh, I am going to be able to pursue my PhD full time under the uh, support of a. Uh, a stipend from my university, University of Southern Queensland, as well as um, something that I'm, I still, when I, when I say these words, I'm not going to believe them I come out of my mouth, but I'm also going to be uh, working as a researcher with the SETI Institute, SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Wow. <laughs> um, and my uh, job title uh, for them is Unistellar Education Associate. And what I'm going to be doing is developing a global citizen science network for K-14 through 14 educators and their students Okay. To wait. use... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Citizen science? Yeah, what is that? What is citizen you, you science? You just said it.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so
1: citizen... It? Yeah, what is it? So citizen science is basically... Um, anybody that wants to contribute to science, they can contribute to it. Um, so, you know, some examples is, you know, there's, there's different, um, there's different websites and and apps out there where, you know, if you, you know, if you're interested in science, you want to help scientists work in the field, maybe you can collect some data, maybe take some pictures of the sky and that can help with climate change. Is that like crowdsourcing? Yeah, it's kind of like crowd crowdsourcing in a way. Uh Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's also, uh, it's also have uh, a lot of educators, have been exploring doing this in the classroom and something that I started researching when I was doing my master's of education was project based learning and PBL and how PBL can be much more motivating if it has real applications. So when you're doing something that actually is, is, you know, making a difference and you're working on a real project that means something.
0: Okay. You mentioned PBL earlier. Remind me what PBL is. Project-based Project, project, based project based learning.
1: Learning. Yeah. Got it. And okay. um, I have a good example of a PBL project that I'll try to sum up real quick that, that I did before. And it was for my unit in uh, energy for my physics class. And what we did is we learned about energy through learning about asteroids and asteroid impacts. And if you didn't know, there's these giant rocks in the sky that impact earth from time to time. If you look at the moon, there's evidence of it. In fact, just as many asteroids hit the earth as they hit the moon, except on earth, we have erosion and plate tectonics that kind of erases that evidence, but they're there, right? Um, So what we did in this project is students work in groups and they're given a piece of paper with an, uh, a hypothetical asteroid on it that's gonna impact Earth on a certain date and time. And then there's a set of latitude and longitude coordinates. And there's some unknown and known variables that they have to solve for, such as like the energy when it impacts or the equivalent Hiroshima bomb equivalency of, of bombs that would explode if that asteroid were to impact. And then some of them are getting an asteroid that impacts their school. (laughs) Some of them are getting one that impacts Hollywood or, you know, a famous city. And some of them are happening in 10 years. Some of them are happening in 100 years. Some of them are happening like a thousand years from now. But the one that happens in a thousand years from now would destroy all of humanity. And what do they have to do? They have to save the world from the asteroid impact. And they have to work together. Bruce Bruce Willis
0: did it already.
1: Exactly. Yeah, Bruce Willis did it, and then um, it was the with the other movie, Deep Impact, where they oh yeah, they did that too yeah. Um, so yeah, if you get you get Aerosmith to write the soundtrack, <laughs> and then you send uh, you send you send the star of Die Hard out to an asteroid, then you will save the world. But uh, <laughs> so they had to work together, and they had all they had different roles. So some of them were like you know more sciencey roles. Some of them were like doing outreach. And outreach is important in science. It's so important in science. Um, but but then they they had to develop this plan. Like, how are they going to deflect it? How are they going to detect it? You know, um, how are they going to coordinate their efforts around the world? How are they going to, um, you know, make sure that you know we work together in order to save the world? So this is a project that you know they get excited about, and they and they had tons of fun. We had tons of fun doing this, and um, that's a that's a project based learning unit, right? And mm-hmm. did they have a test at the end of that unit? No they had a project, right? And they, I would, I would, I would argue, and I claim and there's research to back this up too, that they learn much deeper than taking a test and you can assess them in the same way through this project because they're actually applying it. When you're in the workforce, you're a scientist or you're an engineer or you're, um, I don't know, a computer scientist or any job, Like, do they give you tests? Well, I mean, there's probably some jobs where they test you, right? But no, you're 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 assessed by your, you know, the the projects that you do and your and your you know your performance, right? So you know, yeah. So what what are we doing in in education where where like we give them these tests and it's all about testing and it's all about the answers and it's all about the grades and then you know, and once you're out of college, it's like no more tests. Like, you know, why? What are we preparing them for? Yeah, man.
0: It sounds like you're just shifting your focus as a teacher. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be in a local high school classroom, but you're still going to be very involved with education. It sounds to me like it. Tell me how you perceive your new role as being an education influencer. And I'd say even, you know, how does it relate to your modeling uh, love?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, the the project that I'm really excited about is we have these telescopes they're called unistellar EV scopes and this is a new consumer telescope. It's completely autonomous. It's controlled with your phone, it takes all the guesswork out of like how to use a telescope. I mean, how many people out there listening that you know, you have or know someone has a telescope and it just sits in the garage in your basement and collects dust cause you don't know how to use it or you try to use it and you can never find anything. Um, so it's, it's, it's a cool telescope that allows you to, you know, not have to worry about that because it just works on an app and everyone can use an app. Um, but, the the magic of this telescope is they created an MOU with the SETI Institute, where the SETI Institute is creating the Citizen Science Network for this telescope network. And the idea is, that's it's already been done, is that users of this EV scope can um, get an alert on their phone. And that alert will say, there's an interesting scientific target that you can go out and observe with your telescope in your backyard, in your garden, such as... An occulting asteroid, or an asteroid flying by, or an exploding supernova star, or hmm. a transiting exoplanet—a planet that orbits around another star—and we've, we've 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 actually we've actually um, had success. And this telescope can observe exoplanets, planets around other stars in our galaxy. And it's that powerful. Yeah, so it's a consumer. This is a consumer telescope, and. Um, you know what's what's different about this than most consumer telescopes that most people will buy um, is that it has it has a digital camera in it. it has a what's called a cmos light detector so just like your phone has like a light chip in it like a ccd light chip in it that collects photons this has a light chip in it that collects photons collects light and it has a computer on board and it can it can save that um that astronomical data and then Astronomers, we can then analyze that data or the students can with their teachers by using certain pedagogies such as modeling instruction,
0: assuming the classroom has
1: access to one of these. <laughs> exactly. So the, the, what we want to do is we're, we're applying to a lot of grants and uh, trying to get fundraisers going to get these telescopes into classrooms um, anywhere we can around the world. And then I want to work with teachers and their students to develop a a project based learning citizen science modeling instruction thing <laughs> and see what see what can happen. The idea wow. is that, that, that it's going to be completely student centered and it's like giving the observatory the observatory To the students that telescope that they have they're gonna work with their teachers they're gonna um they're gonna collect data on scientific targets such as exoplanets and they're going to analyze the data using modeling instruction and other techniques what's their project they're scientists and in many cases i hope they will even publish and they will publish their results in junior journals or maybe we'll even create our own journal just for citizen scientists to publish democratizing science how oh, cool would that be better. for high school students to be published? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it happens. It happens in other places around the world. And you know what's also incredible about this? Teachers, a lot of teachers want to do science too. A lot of science teachers want to do science. And this, I think, will maybe reinvigorate teaching and education. Maybe some teachers, you know, they, they lost that passion. Maybe this could give it back to them or maybe some new teachers will get you know, i um, interested in becoming a teacher because they can do science, you know, so it's maybe another way to make teaching more exciting too. That's very cool. Very cool. So Dan, I know that you have a, a
0: very eclectic uh, background in your experiences and knowledge. And one of the things that you and I share is musicianship. Yes. And uh, I, I was excited to know that you're got band, you've been involved in the music industry and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I find that a lot of science people have a connection with musical talent and other artistic endeavors. And it's interesting to me how the brain works those things together. Tell me about how you look at creativity, science, which sometimes is presented as kind of pedantic and more of a science than an art.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would argue that creativity is vital for science. Um, And some of the some of my famous examples that I always mention when this topic's brought up is Albert Einstein and the fact that when he would get stuck, um, at least what I've read is when he gets stuck on a problem, he would go play the violin and he was a violinist, right? And this would, you know, help him, you know, work things out. Uh, Richard Feynman, a famous phys- physicist. He was a, he was a bongo player. Um, another famous example, uh, Brian May from Queen. And, if you've seen the you know the the Queen document uh, documentary movie that came out um, he, at the beginning of the movie, you know Brian May is in a PhD program in astrophysics, and then Queen kind of they they kind of became a big deal. <laughs> so he he left he left his PhD program and was a rock star for like you know thirty plus years. But then he came back and got his PhD. You know so you know it's I think it's you know it is something in common. But you know even besides the fact that there are people that have done music and science, I mean. Just, the you know, Einstein's idea of riding on a light beam is a really creative, you know, radical idea. I mean, and this is another reason why we need more diversity in science, too. So people can look at problems from a different angle than what the traditional scientists are looking at, you know. Um, But it can also get people excited about science. There's this there's this educator um, by the name of Christopher Emden. Have you ever heard of him? No. No, so he, he is out of Columbia University in New York City, and he has a couple of really cool books. Um, in fact, he has this book called um, for, for, White, for White Folks Who Teach in the Hood, and the rest of y'all too. And um, he brings up this idea. It's, it's this is an awesome book. I, I read it this year. I wish I would have read it like four years ago when I first started becoming a teacher. And um, It's amazing. So please, I highly recommend that book. But um, in the book, he, he presents something called Reality Pedagogy. And something that he says is that education should not be a way out of your neighborhood. It should be a tool for improving it. And one thing that he did with science education that's really exciting is that he uh, worked with Jizza, who's a rapper from the Wu-Tang Clan. And uh, if, if you're not familiar, Jizza has written some amazing raps with Wu-Tang Clan that are very inspired by the cosmos and um, talking about exploding stars and black holes and and. I'm not a rapper. I my music that I do is more like singer songwriter, pop rock. But you know, I I do love hip hop. And, and I, one thing I do know about hip hop is that if you're gonna if you're gonna rap, you have to really know your subject, right? Um, especially if you're freestyling. And Christopher Emden worked with kids in New York City and in the Bronx, and he had them get engaged with science by doing these rap genius battles, where they would rap about the science concepts, and they would battle other students from other schools wow and compete and then the judge was 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 Jiza from the Wu Tang oh clan <laughs> it's pretty amazing yeah. you can look up the video so you, you, you youtube this and you can find the videos it's it's really cool and it's really inspiring right um and there's this, there's actually this this uh, company in Nashville Tennessee called Notes for Notes and they put recording studios in boys and girls clubs throughout America and I actually have a friend that works there and one idea that I have and put him on the spot here is that <laughs> we maybe put the, some of these EV scopes in the schools and these kids can write about exoplanets and science and, you know, it can be collaborative and they can get excited about music and, and, you know, and when you write about music and as a songwriter myself, okay, you have to explore these concepts deeply and that puts meaning behind it and it makes it exciting. So you can learn from this.
0: Yes. It's awesome. Hey, it's been an amazing pleasure to talk with you. You too, Mark. Thanks for having me. I'm glad that uh, your name was given to me actually by Colleen.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Colleen.
0: So you've mentioned some very cool things that our listeners are probably going to want to check out. Okay. Can you send me links and such? You mentioned a conference that you were afraid you messed up the name of it and you've talked about the jiza and, you know, any links and stuff you've shared with us that you would like to share with our listeners, send me that list and we will post it on the website and on your show which will be easy to find we'll have show notes and links and a transcription of this if people want it to see it in written form fantastic uh, okay. so please do that i want to say thank you so so very much for uh, participating in this dialogue with us on science modeling talks and i wish you the best of luck when do you start the seti thing october 1st so um, oh my next week That's the day that this podcast will be posted.
1: Oh man, it must be—it must be fate. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's great. Okay, Dan, thank you so much. Thank you very much.
1: Take care. You
0: too. All right, bye. Okay, so that's our show. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights and a link to the resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. And when you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep striving for excellence in your classroom.